Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, everyone. Bible reading for today will be taken from the book of Psalm, Psalm 23, from verses 1 to 6. After reading, I would say, This is the word of the Lord, and you respond with, Thanks be to God. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will, over- will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. You know, earlier, uh, Pastor Femi got to ask me questions, so I had to talk about myself, but I want to talk about City Church a little bit before we start, start into talking about Psalm 23. Does that sound okay? I, I want to say this sincerely, City Church Lagos is one of my favorite churches to visit on planet Earth. I love coming here. I love worshiping the same God uh, with you all that I worship with my church family in Chicago and in other places. I love uh, the, the fact that God is at work and that He is moving here. I love knowing and serving uh, Pastor Femi, really, sincerely. I love meeting all of you. I, I love just being a part of this great work of God. And I think, who am I? Like the psalmist said, who am I, O God, that you are mindful of me, that I get to be a part of your great work in great cities like Lagos, Nigeria, right? So I just want to say that before I even, before we even get into the scripture, what an awesome God that we serve and what a privilege it is to know who he is and to join with the, his, his fellowship, not ours, his fellowship all over the world. It is awesome. So thank you for letting me be a part of your church in just a tiny way on just one Sunday in August in, uh, in this great city. So let's, go, let's uh, move on with Psalm 23. This is one of the most, pro- probably the most famous psalm, right, of all of the psalms. I understand you all have been in a series of prayers through the Bible. Most of them have been psalms, yes? Am I right? Okay, good. Femi told me the right thing. He, he wasn't just... He wasn't just uh, joking with me. So you've been in the, in the book of Psalms for a number of weeks. Psalm 23 is one of those Psalms, whether you are a Christian or you are not a Christian, probably you have heard Psalm 23, right? Whether you believe in the God of the Bible or you don't, you probably have heard Psalm 23, at least the first few verses of Psalm 23. Your grandma probably has sent you a card in the mail with the first verses of Psalm 23 on it, 
right? You, you, you have heard Psalm 23. This is a famous psalm. And when, when I was reading this and when I was preparing for the message today, it made me recall uh, a story of my wife and I. I mentioned earlier that we were missionaries and church pastors and planters in Mexico City. Uh, reading through Psalm 23 again made me remember a story of when we first moved to Mexico City. We moved in January of 2002 to Mexico City. Uh, a year or so later, uh, in 2003, that summer, we had been married for three years, and we were ready for a vacation, right? Not from each other. We were ready for a, uh, for a holiday together, right? We hadn't been on holiday together since our honeymoon, and we had heard and read about all of the, the villages and, and towns, the coastal towns that were within driving distance of Mexico City, and we thought, let's find a beautiful coastal village and go there and have a holiday together. And so we got on the internet. Now, the internet in 2003 was not the same as the internet now, okay? So we didn't have as many websites to look at to research where we wanted to go for holiday. But we, we began researching. We began reading. We found this, this website that was brand new called TripAdvisor, right? It was brand new. And there were like four reviews on the whole website. And, and we found this, this little place that just looked perfect. And I actually, I, I researched and I, I, I found the original webpage from 2002 that we read when we found the place that we wanted to go. And here is some of the things that, about this place that we saw and we were like, yes, this is where we want to go. This is what the marketing copy read. It said, white sands, tropical sea life, crystal clear waters. Ah, sounds good. The soothing sound of the waves breaking on the point, waken to, to surf and bird song. Finish the day with spectacular glowing sunsets. Treat yourself to a tropical getaway. And then it continued. It, it talked about the restaurant. It says, our seaside restaurant is one of the ro most romantic spots in the world. <laughs> Commanding a sweeping 280-degree view of the beautiful bay. And then an online reviewer, the only online reviewer on TripAdvisor that went to this place in 2003, said, this is a wonderful place of escape and retreat, beautiful accommodation within a beach paradise. Oh, man, we found it. This is where we wanted to go on holiday. We found the place that we wanted to go to. They had beautiful photographs. One of them I think we have up here. We have a, a photo of a sandy beach. There's this hut. You can see out this, this bay is actually, there's a reef there. It's famous, King's Reef. And this, this place is right on this peninsula that juts out into the ocean. It's, it's gorgeous, right? So these are the photographs. This is what we were looking forward to. We were promised that there would be a, a, a wonderful room uh, with a private veranda and a bathroom uh, all, all to ourselves. And then this is the room that we actually found, that we saw when we got there. Now, it doesn't look great, right? The photo is way better than the real thing. Okay, so they only took a photo of this side of the room because there was no other side of the room. It was just a screen facing the jungle. And private bathroom, another word for the private bathroom was outhouse. That's what we use in the United States. Are you familiar with the outhouse? You have to leave your room, go down a sandy jungle path, and into another space where your shower and your toilet and your sink are, right? We were promised tropical wildlife, fish and birds. This is the actual first animal that we saw. 
This is the wildlife that welcomed us in our bathroom, on the wall, behind the sink. Yes, this is a real photograph. That thing is real. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It looks like, if you're listening to the podcast right now, it looks like something that's a cross between a spider and something from Ridley Scott's Alien movies, doesn't it? Doesn't it look like the alien from Alien movies? This is a real bug. You can change it so we don't have to look at that anymore. Yeah. This was in our bathroom. Now, listen, this, this is the whole point of this whole story. All of us have been in a position like my wife and I were in at that time where we're looking for guidance, right? We're looking to the experts to give us guidance to make a good decision about what we want to do next. Do you know what I'm talking about? And, and, and we look to the experts, and all of us have been in the position where we read the marketing copy, we watch the commercial, we see what, what the supposed experts have to say, and then we experience the actual product, and it's very different than what was promised to us. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you experienced this? Yes. We've all been in this position. All, whether we're men or women, young or old, professionals or students, whatever, whatever we are, Christians or non-Christians, we've all been in search of guidance at one time or another, right? And we've all experienced guidance that's not very good. We've all experienced a gap between what people promise and what is actually delivered. Yes? This is true. Now, in Psalm 23, what we have here is a picture, more than anything else, of guidance under God. We have a picture of what it means to be guided by God. We have a picture of, of a person who, who turns to his Lord and is guided by God. The title of this sermon is what? A Prayer of the Sojourner. Sojourner, it's a great word, the traveler. In Psalm 119, the, the psalmist says, I am but a sojourner in this land. Don't hide your way from me. What is, what is he getting at? He's saying, I need guidance. I don't belong here. <laughs> Show me how to live. I need guidance, right? Psalm 23 is a picture of that guidance. It is designed for you and I to read, to say, yes. That is the kind of guidance that I'm looking for. That is what I'm after. That is what I need. And when you heard Psalm 23 read today, did you think, that sounds good? When you heard the verses of green pastures and quiet waters, did you, did you think, that sounds good? I did. Now, when we read Psalm 23, and when we have it in our minds that this is a picture of guidance, we have to remember that this is a picture of guidance for someone who follows God. This isn't a picture of guidance. This isn't something that everyone receives. This is, some, this is a picture of guidance for someone who follows God. Now, I've got to say, when I was preparing this, a normal pattern for me when I'm preparing a teaching or a sermon is that I try to, I, I study and I research and I pray and I try to get about 2,500 words of notes on paper. That's just for me. That's what I try to do. When I was preparing for this, and when I finished that last paragraph, I had almost 4,000 words of notes. Now, I don't say that because I'm going to be talking for the next two hours. I say that because without even trying, this psalm is so rich, and it is so deep, and it has so much to offer. Without trying, I almost doubled the number of words that I was wanting to have in notes. Do you see what I'm getting at? 
We all need guidance. And this is a picture of the guidance that we're after. Psalm 23 is magnificent. <laughs> and so to guide us today through our psalm about guidance, we have two points, just two. We have guidance. <laughs> yeah, is that amazing? Just two points. I hear you. I hear I, I hear I need to have a conversation with Pastor Femi about how many points are his, in his sermon. We've got two points. Guidance that leads to beauty and guidance that is sufficient for darkness. Did you hear that? Guidance that leads to beauty and guidance that is sufficient for darkness. This is a picture of absolute, of total kind of guidance. It is, it is enough for all of life, the kind of guidance that leads to beauty, and the kind of guidance that is sufficient for darkness. Now, uh, first, the kind of guidance that leads to beauty. The psalmist paints a picture, doesn't he? There are four metaphors in this psalm, four big metaphors. Now, any good poet, any good songwriter uses metaphors. Shakespeare didn't say, you're great. No, no, no. He said, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? right? The psalmist does the same thing. He employs metaphors, and we have four metaphors here. Two are about God, and two are about life. Two are about God. God is shepherd, and God is host to his guests. And two are about life. Life can be good and like green pastures, and life can be bad like dark valleys. Do you see? And in these four metaphors, we have a complete, a total picture of guidance. And he begins with guidance that leads to beauty. The kind of guidance that feels like a green pasture, like lying down by still waters. Have you ever, have you ever had that experience? The kind of, the kind of day. You know, I live in in Chicago. Pastor Femi got to visit. Uh, when were you there? Not not too long ago. Earlier this year, in May. It's a, it's an incredible city. It's built right up on Lake Michigan, in a beautiful lake. There, there's this one place in Chicago that I love to go for the six hours out of the year when there's good weather, right? <laughs> Yeah, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. So you, you go out, and there's this park, and it's called Promontory Point. It's just south of the city, and it's a peninsula that goes out into Lake Michigan, this enormous freshwater lake that looks like the ocean. And you can go out on Promontory Point, and you can look back to the north and see the skyline of the city. It looks like it's floating on the lake almost. And, and in the right weather, when the sun is just coming up or when the sun is just going down, there's, there's fog on the lake, and the lake is still and like glass. And, and it's quiet, and it's beautiful, and it's the kind of scene that's not just physically beautiful. It's so good that it feels like it's refreshing your soul. Do you know what I'm talking about? It, it, it transcends just physical and goes into spiritual. That's the scene that the psalmist paints. He says... Walking with his God, the one true God, the God of the Bible, can be so rich and so magnificent. It is like a perfect day in a perfect setting where the weather is just right and the scene is brilliant. It is so good that your soul is refreshed. There's a, a startup in the city of San Francisco. As you know, San Francisco has lots of startups. Tech, most of them are technological startups. This startup is called Ritual Design Lab, and Ritual Design Lab has identified this um, kind of unique problem. They say many people in the world today are very busy, and particularly young people are disconnected 
from any kind of real meaningful belief or history. They don't, they don't know where they've come from. They don't know where they're going. They, often they're disconnected from religion. And so what they need in their life, Ritual Design Lab says, what they need in their life are more rituals. So they're going to design rituals for the modern person, right? I think, actually, Ritual Design Lab is right in some ways that people are more disconnected from any kind of meaningful ritual in their life. They're disconnected from their histories. They're disconnected from communal rites and rites of passage in the way that generations before were connected, right? Ritual Design Lab's solution, however, I don't, I'm not as certain about. So, for example, one of the things that they've done just recently in this last year is they set up a wish ritual, make a wish ritual on San Francisco's Market Street. Has anybody been to San Francisco? There's a busy street there called Market Street, a couple of you have. A busy street, pedestrians all the time. Ritual Design Lab built a small room and set it on this street. And you could enter the room and you could get a pen and paper and write your wish on the paper and, and pin it and tie it up on the walls in this room. And they called it the wish ritual. Now, many of these wish, wishes were, were not um, particularly profound. <laughs> you know, some of them were just kind of silly. But then there were some. They posted a lot of them online. There were some that were really stunning. And I, I want to read some of these wishes that people just walking down the street had. One person wrote, I wish the world would slow down a little bit more. Have you ever felt that? I wish, another person said, I wish that people were kind and compassionate to me. Somebody else said, I wish that I had only good thoughts. Wouldn't that be great? Somebody else said, I wish for strength. Someone else said, I wish that I could find direction. And someone else said, just simply, I wish for peace in my heart. Right? What are these people walking down Market Street in San Francisco saying? What are they getting at? They want Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3. That's what they're after. They, they want something that they don't yet have, but they know that they need it. They want the, the green pastures and the still quiet waters. They're after something. Do you see? Now, the, the, the ritual design lab, here's what's so, so maddening about it. Writing what I need down, writing my wish down and putting it on a piece of paper on Market Street does not do anything. You know, externalizing my needs is not the same thing as meeting my needs. Do you see? It, writing your grocery list down is not the same thing as going to the market and stocking the refrigerator. Do you see? We need something more. We need guidance. We need a steady hand at the wheel. We need someone else who will step in and who will lead us to these things, to peace in our heart, to strength, to direction, to good thoughts. That's what we need. And that's what Psalm 23, what the psalmist says he has. Imagine. Imagine having this. Does it sound good? Imagine having the kind of guidance that leads to peace and direction and strength and compassion. We need something more. We want and we need the kind of guidance that leads to beauty. The, the psalmist doesn't stop there, does he? We, we also have verse 4. Verse 4 changes. 
the whole scene changes. We move from green pastures to what? To the darkest valley. Uh, this is, this might sound strange, this is one of my favorite things about Christianity, about the Christian faith, is verse 4. Now, why do I say that? And I'm not the only one. Christians throughout history have said similar things. Christianity is honest with me. Christianity tells me like it is. The Bible says there are dark valleys, and you will experience them. You know, when my wife and I went to that little beach resort, we had read about the white sands. We had read about the tropical fish and the sunsets. Nobody told us about the bathroom or the spiders. Do you see? The marketing copy was not honest with us. The Bible is different. It is honest. It tells us like it is. It says life can be good and life can be very deeply difficult and challenging. It, it tells us the truth. This is wonderful. This is freeing. It just says there are dark valleys. <laughs> it, it, Christianity, it, 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 tells, it tells us what is real. It is, it is in touch with people's real experience. Now, this is remarkable because when, tragically, tragically today, there are many versions, or of, of, for lack of a better word, of Christian marketing that want to only talk about the green, green pastures and do away with all the dark bits, right? The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible is not afraid to talk about the darkest valley. God in, with, with us does, is not afraid to tell us that there is sin and that it is real and that people are corrupted and that they need a savior, that, that they need something more, right? The Bible is honest with us. There are dark valleys. And I know, I know that in this room, there are some of you who are in a dark valley now. Even though I don't know all of you, I just know, just statistically, there are people who are in a dark valley. I know that there are people in this room who in their histories have, have darkest valleys, even traumas in their life. I want to mention three kinds of dark valleys here, but, but I want to mention them and say that I know that they're not, um, I know that I'm not explaining all of the kinds of dark valleys, right? One kind of dark valley is the valley of the ordinary. The valley of the ordinary. Uh, maybe that sounds strange. I don't know. The Valley of the Ordinary. When I, was, when I first became a missionary to Mexico City, a church planter, I had a very high, heroic view of Christian missions. Okay? I did. I was 21, 22. I had a heroic view of what Christian missions was. And, and then I got to be a missionary. I, I, I got my dream. And I moved to Mexico City, and it didn't feel very heroic. It just kind of felt ordinary. Like life, it was just hard work. It was just kind of a grind. Do you know what I mean? This is the valley of the ordinary, and I don't think it's limited to Christianity and Christian missions. Many of you have had dreams, you've had ambitions, you've had desires, and you've gotten them. You wanted to graduate, you wanted the relationship, you wanted the job, and you got it, right? And then, what happens? The ordinary sets in. This is the valley of the ordinary. This is the valley of the ordinary teaches us something from God. It, it, it shows us. It's actually a gift from him if we receive it as such. It shows us that all of our ambitions can never give us what we most deeply need 
Achieving your wildest dreams will never satisfy you in a transcendent way. And so the valley of the ordinary actually teaches us something if we receive it from God in that way, that we need something more. We need guidance through the darkest valley. There's another um, valley. I, I said I would mention three. There are dark times, dark valleys of waiting. Of waiting. Earlier we sang, we will wait upon the Lord, and we sang it joyfully. But we all know that waiting does not feel joyful. Does it? It doesn't. It's hard. Waiting is one of the most challenging things that we have to do. I don't even like to stand in a line at the bank, <laughs> much less wait for something really significant in my life. Now listen, the valley of waiting is so real. The Bible is so honest with us. I feel compelled to be honest with you. Some of our waiting will last a lifetime. I don't say that to be discouraging. No, no, no. The opposite. I say that to be real. <laughs> some of your waiting, some of my waiting will last a lifetime. Uh, King Solomon, the son of King David, who wrote this psalm. King Solomon also wrote some of our Bible in Proverbs. He, in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, he said this about waiting. He said, waiting can feel dark and confusing. He said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You guys have it memorized. Why? Because valleys of waiting are hard. They're challenging. They're difficult. A third kind of valley, a third dark valley, is um, the valley of loss. Now, I'm looking around the room. We've got kind of a range of ages in here, but there are quite a few young people. Many of us have not experienced the depth of loss like some of the older generation has, right? I remember, for example, I was, um, uh, when we were missionaries again, my wife and I had, we lost a baby. We lost a pregnancy. We had a miscarriage, and it was deeply challenging. Super uh, difficult for me, and even more so for my wife. Just very, very challenging. And I was, I was distraught. I was confused. I thought, God, how do, how do we lose a baby? And why? All, all of the normal questions, right? And I had a friend who was older than, older than me, and he sat with me, and he prayed with me, and he listened to me, and he was quiet with me. He was a good friend. And then one day he said, you know, Luke, one of the reasons that this is hard for you is just that you haven't experienced very much loss before. What a hard word. What a good word for me to hear. I love friends like that. Valleys of, of loss are real. All of us will lose someone that we love. All of us will lose many people that we love. Valleys of loss are real. Valleys of ordinary, valleys of waiting, valleys of loss, and yet, how does the psalmist respond? Incredibly, he is comforted. Did you catch that? He is comforted. Why? This is a good question. Why? By the presence of God. Did you see verses 1 through 3? You have the psalmist extolling who God is. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's, a, he's like a great shepherd. He, he takes care of me. He leads me. He makes me lie down. He gives me rest. He, he refreshes my soul, right? Yeah. He's extolling about God. And then in the darkest valley, did you see the pronoun changes? The psalmist stops talking about God and what? Starts talking to God. It moves from he 
to you. In the darkest valley, the psalmist is comforted. Why? Because he turns. He says, this is hard. This is dark. This is difficult. But you, you're here with me. This is so unique to Christianity, my friends. This God who lowers himself, who humbles himself, the, the God, the almighty God of the universe. Imagine, why would he do this? Who says, I will enter the darkest valley with you. Every other philosophy, every other belief system, every other religion on earth says someday God will scoop you out of the valley. Someday he'll, he'll take you out. Christianity says that too. It promises heaven and a new earth, right? But it says, in the meantime, God is with you in the valley. Amen. It is unique. It is, this is a tiny picture King David didn't even know, right? What he was saying. This is a tiny picture of the gospel of Christianity, that, that God himself lowers himself to become one of us, to enter into the darkest valley. This is why the psalmist, he, he, in, in the deepest confusion, in the deepest darkness, he says he is comforted. He says, why? You're with me. I don't, I don't understand all of this, but I know one thing, God. You're with me. This is the Christian God, the one true God, the God of the Bible. He is with us. And the psalmist says, your rod and your staff, he's continuing the, the metaphor of shepherd. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Think about a, a shepherd's walking stick, right? It has two sides. One is a weapon. The rod is, to, is to, to fend off robbers and, and wild animals. The other side is a hook, right? It's to guide sheep away from danger. The rod and the staff, they comfort. The weapon of offense and the instrument of defense. All from our shepherd who enters the dark valley with us. It's, this is magnificent, this picture. And then... Verse 5, what happens? Another metaphor shifts. The psalmist has been talking about God as shepherd, and then in verse 5, he, he shifts to God as host to his guests. You prepare a table before me, the psalmist says. Imagine the almighty king of kings treating you as the honored guest. This is utterly backwards. The king of kings sets a table for you, for me. He, he provides, he, he sets out in abundance all of this provision. Now, don't miss this. When is the table set? I'm asking, when is the table set? In the darkest valley. When is God's provision most apparent? When we're weak, that's right, in the darkest valley. When, when I am most aware of my need for God, he shows up and he sets the table. That is what the psalmist is telling us, and it is true. And he says, I have everything for you. I am your shepherd, you shall not want. Right? I am the host, you are the guest. I set the table. This is, this is so... Magnificent. There's a, there's a woman named uh, Betsy Childs Howard. She worked for a time for Beeson Divinity School, a seminary in the United States. She went through a dark uh, season of waiting, and she wrote this, actually, uh, in, that, 
in that valley of waiting, she said, quote, I began to see that waiting was a kind of school from God. But the goal of this school was not that I should learn my lessons so they don't have to wait anymore. No, no. God wanted me to learn how to wait so that I could wait well, even if my waiting continued for the rest of my life. God wanted something better for me. Rather than simply end my waiting, he wanted to bless my waiting. These are the words of someone you can only, Betsy Childs Howard could only arrive at this deeper understanding of who God is in the valley. She can't get there another way. Her her Christianity is, is enriched and deepened only because of the valley of waiting. Do you see? God set the table in an abundance. He gave her a new and deeper perspective of who he is and what he has done for her. Uh, Tabidi Abenwil, a pastor in the Washington, D.C. area, also, like all of us, has been through valleys. He wrote simply this, a no, I began to see that a no from God does more for my good than a yes to all of my dreams. He said, a no from God does more for my good than a yes to all of my dreams. Now listen, the same principle is true here. Tabidi can only can only receive that understanding through the valley. He can only know that from God's no. (laughs) Do you see? The valley actually provided for him a table set in abundance about who God is. It's so counterintuitive, but it's so real. God enters into the darkest valley and he sets a table of provision for his people. He is shepherd, he is host. Life can be good, life can be tragic and dark. Now, I, I imagine some of you are like me, right? Uh, you, you like this picture of guidance, this picture of the sojourner, what, what he has in God. It sounds good. Does it sound good to anybody here? The kind of guidance that leads to beauty, the kind of guidance that sustains in darkness. It sounds good to me. But you might be like me where you're like, yeah, but what do I do? I need, I need something practical. The fact is I got a decision to make this week. (laughs) What do I do? I need guidance, right? So I want to give just three brief practical points about guidance. Does that sound good? So you can see I cheated on my two points. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Pastor Femi's nodding. Psalm 23, point, point one, practical about guidance. Psalm 23 is a picture of guidance for a person who believes in God. The Bible is so explicit with this over and over and over again. The promises of God are for God's people. This, is, this exclusive claim can be very challenging in our present society. But the Bible just tells it like it is. Psalm 23 is a picture of guidance for someone who believes in God. Remember, in the same psalm, who else is present? Enemies. Not everyone receives Psalm 23 from God only the ones who believe. It's a hard truth, but there's good news too. We learn in the New Testament that God died for us while we were still enemies. In other words, if you find yourself not yet in belief, he can still draw you into belief, right? Psalm 23 can be for you. Practical point two about guidance. Guidance from God is not always supernatural. 
it's not always supernatural. As a matter of fact, I would say most of the time, God uses natural means to speak to his people. Consider the great heroes of the Bible. Many of them, even the most famous ones, many of them we have 10, 20, 30 pages about their whole lives. What does that mean? Except that there are thousands of pages that are unwritten where their lives were just normal, right? God was just using natural means to guide them. John Ortberg is a pastor and a writer. He says, so often when a Christian goes to God and he asks for help on a decision about guidance, so often the Christian really just wants to be rescued from making a hard decision. God is, is a loving father, and he, he, wants, he doesn't want you to remain a child, just like I don't want to always swoop in and rescue my kids from making a hard decision. I want them to. I want them to wrestle through the consequences and through thinking. I want them to discern and grow in wisdom, and God wants that for you. And, and, and so often his guidance is through natural means. Of course he can do miracles. Of course he does. God, <laughs> right? But very often he works through natural means for your guidance. Finally, uh, point three of practical, practical things about God's guidance. God has a moral plan for you, but not an exact action plan for you. Does that make sense? God has a moral plan for your life, but not an exact action plan for your life. Um, God cares, let me put it like this, God cares more about you practicing business with integrity than he cares if you work for this firm or that firm. God cares more about, if you're a physician, about practicing medicine with honesty and, on, and disadvantaging yourself on behalf of others than he cares if you practice medicine in Lagos or Abuja. God cares more about whether or not you're a good spouse or a good single person more than he cares if you are married. Can you imagine? God has a moral plan for your life, not a specific action plan. Occasionally, yes, things come up where you, it's clear God wants you to take action on something. But as a rule, he has a moral plan for your life. Psalm 23 is a picture for someone who believes in God. I hope that you believe in God. I pray that you believe in the God of the Bible, that you are, are becoming a believing Christian. Psalm 23 is also a picture, and King David didn't even know this. It is also a picture of Jesus. Jesus himself drew on Psalm 23. What did he say? He said, I am the good shepherd. Do you remember? And then he expanded. He took Psalm 23, which is already radical, and he said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now listen, if you're in the first century and you're listening to Jesus and you're a shepherd, you're thinking, no, I don't. Shepherds don't lay down their lives for sheep, but that's Jesus's point. He's the kind of shepherd that would lay down his life for the sheep that did. And Jesus is host. Perhaps you've never heard this before, but consider Jesus's first miracle. What was it? Wine for a wedding party. What is that but the job of a host, right? Consider Jesus' work right now. What did he tell us he was doing? Preparing a place for us. He is host to his guests. He is the good shepherd and he is the good host. The, the kind of host who knows you intimately and loves you absolutely. The kind of host that can't wait for you to come to the table. This is Jesus. 
In, in many versions of Psalm 23, the darkest valley is called what? Do you remember this language, perhaps? The valley of the shadow of death. Whatever difficulties that we encounter feel like the valley of the shadow of death often, right? There is a pastor in Philadelphia in the 1920s, 30s. He lost his wife when she was relatively young, and he still had young kids. And he was struggling with how to explain this valley of loss to his children. And they were driving to the, the, the funeral for the mom and for his wife. And they pulled up to a stoplight and a truck stopped at the stoplight and the shadow from the truck fell over the car. And, and he, he, he realized all at once he had this idea of how to explain to his daughters this valley of loss. And he turned into the back seat and he asked his kids, which, which would be worse, getting hit by the truck or getting hit by the shadow? Which would be worse? I'm asking you, getting hit by this truck or getting hit by the shadow? The shadow, obviously, it's an obvious answer. Pastor Femi's like, why is this even a question? The shadow is way better. This is the point. Jesus took the truck. We receive the shadow. Even our deepest, darkest difficulties, our, our most profound challenges are but a shadow compared to the difficulty that Jesus took on, on our behalf. For us, it is just a valley of the shadow of death. For Jesus, it was the valley of death on our behalf. This is Christianity, my friends. This is the kind of guidance that leads to beauty. The kind of guidance that is sufficient in darkness. Can I pray for us? Almighty God, we confess to you that too often we are prone to simple, easy views about life, either that are too bright and naive or too dark and cynical and jaded. Thank you for Psalm 23 that it tells us that life is both good and bad. Thank you for Psalm 23 that it tells us that you are shepherd and host. Thank you, God, that you extend to us and offer us guidance. The kind of guidance that is, that is sufficient for the good and the bad. The kind of guidance that leads to beauty. The kind of guidance that sustains us in darkness. We ask, oh God, specifically for someone who is here right now, who, who feels that this psalm is, is for them today, I pray for them that you would be their comforter and their counselor. And we praise you most of all for Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.